This is the Charter Nation Podcast. You're listening to Charter Nation. This is the Charter Nation Podcast. Produced by the California Charter Schools Association. I'm your host, Anna Tentakoulis. Welcome. Ensuring more black educators are leading and teaching in public schools. That's the topic of this week's episode as we honor Black History Month in February. EdSource, the online education news organization, reported last week that black students who have at least one black teacher growing up are more likely to graduate high school and enroll in college than those who don't. That finding aligns with data CCSA has already published in two key studies. The most recent is titled Serving Black Students with Excellence, which you can download by going to our website ccsa.org. In the report, we highlight three charter public schools that are dramatically advancing the academic performance of their Black students. What do they have in common? They hire and recruit Black educators. Wilder's Preparatory Academy in Inglewood is one of those schools. Let's listen to 7th grader Daria Johnson talk about the importance of having Black teachers in her classes. Well, you get to see a strong uh, Black woman teach us and help us learn, but you also get to see a Black man and they shed light. They help us see, well, we can do that. We can be probably anything that we want to be. And they help us a lot and it's inspiring. So why can't more schools be like Wilder's Prep, recruiting and hiring more educators of color? For that, let's turn to this week's Changemakers interview. Changemakers features Myrna Castrejon, the president and CEO of the California Charter Schools Association, interviewing the personalities that shape public education from across the ideological spectrum. In this episode, Myrna sits down with Laura McGowan Robinson, the founder and CEO of the Diversity in Leadership Institute based in Los Angeles. Her organization is working to build an effective pipeline of Black teachers and school administrators in the state. Here's Myrna Castrojon. The education field is going through a tremendous struggle right now. We already had a teacher, uh, well, let's say an educator uh, shortage in the state and across the nation. And that has only gotten even more severe. Has your mission changed focus or broadened or how has this instance of the pandemic informed how you prioritize your work at, at DIL? The, the thing is, it's actually caused us to double down. Our, our work is really about uh, building a pipeline. And, and for me, we have to focus on teachers and we also have to focus on leaders because particularly educators of color, uh, when they're leaving, they're, they're leaving because of leadership. And so how can we sustain the pipeline uh, only focusing on teachers? We have to focus on the role that administrators play in the retention of those educators of color. So we have really dug in, particularly in the area of access to funding for aspiring principals who want to pursue administration. And so at DLI, Uh, We've partnered with Loyola Marymount University and launched a fellowship program designed for and by school leaders of color that specifically look at the role that race, power, and privilege play in educational leadership. So we fundraise and we provide scholarships to our fellows in combination with, with gifts from LMU to those fellows. 
And after they complete our fellowship program, not only are they rooted and grounded in culturally responsive school leadership, but they also leave with a tier one um, administrative credential. What other hurdles, systems hurdles, are those potential candidates uh, experiencing? And also, Laura, what are the non-systems, but like the personal barriers or challenges as you are trying to lift up and support uh, leaders of color to take their next step in their leadership journey? I'd say another systemic barrier that we are, we're seeing with educators of color is navigating the, the credentialing system. All of the dollars that they put into becoming an educator, uh, essentially having to teach for free during their student teaching. And then once they become educators, they're paying off that debt. And if they want to become administrators, administrative credentials are considered certificates. And so access to financial aid is even more limited. So we have all of these systemic barriers um, facing them as they're going through the credentialing process. And then after they go through the credentialing process, potentially being confronted with racism and microaggressions um, in the organizations that they're moving into, right? We all have to do better when it comes to the retention of educators of color. Can you tell me in, in your own words, I and mean, we talk about these big concepts, right? Uh, uh, cultural competence. What, what does that really mean? And uh, what is the role that leaders of color play in ensuring that we have the right cultural conditions for student high student achievement uh, and, and, and embracing school culture where all students can achieve? When I think about cultural competence, I think about it as an awareness and understanding of the importance of difference and an ongoing self-reflection uh, regarding culture. It's a commitment to building cultural knowledge. It looks like speaking out against racial injustice in spaces where it might be unpopular. Um, and I'll just be honest, cultural competence is almost, you know, that's basic, right? Um, the, mm -hmm. the goal is like cultural proficiency. It's full inclusion. And so if, if we aren't meeting students at that level, and to be quite honest, like by and large, we haven't been, um, then we're, we're doing a disservice. And so it's critical for school leaders to be culturally competent as a basic level, uh, not only for improved academic and school climate outcomes, but for our students' lives. Um, because mm -hmm. the lack of cultural competence is on full display with the school to prison pipeline. So that's what the lack of cultural competence looks like. We are in a, in, in a really fraught moment, I think, socially, uh, as we are beginning to grapple with these issues, which is a conversation that's long overdue. And sometimes I think uh, folks that are less familiar with, with these concepts sometimes believe that it's incongruent with the academic task or with excellence or rigor. How do, how do we get better at having that conversation in a way that makes it very relevant and real for non-educators of color to understand what allyship means? This is not a conversation just um, for us black and brown and Asian folk. No, absolutely not. Right. Um, and if it stays that way, we're going to continue to get the results that we have. Breaking through that requires folks, not only black and brown folks, but white allies, white co-conspirators as well. And it's really about the facts. If we just look at the data, we see great disparities uh, when it comes to discipline starting very early. 
Um, how can we divorce race and racial inequity looking at that data, right? And so I would say starting at a, at a data level, at a head level, before we even get to the heart and talking about what we are seeing, the injustices that we're seeing starting at the pre-K level. And then what, how is that manifesting itself when students aren't seeing themselves reflected in the curriculum? Um, and even outside of that in our broader community, as we look at the disproportionate impacts that COVID-19 how many children have lost parents. Then we look at the racial disparities even in that, um, how many students of color have lost parents. So I, I would just encourage people to just look at the reality, look at the data that we're, we're facing and talk about how we can be disruptors and change agents in our schools and in our school communities. Laura, um, you've been in charter schools, you've established a charter school as you've reached into this next stage of your, your passion career, what insights are you uh, coming to about how the charter public school model can anchor to these concepts and support these best practices? Is there something inherent or perhaps a systems opportunity for charter schools to lead and uh, open up new avenues to support racial diversity and leadership? There's real opportunity for charter public schools to grow, uh, to build on and grow their own pipelines of racially diverse school leadership uh, because charter schools have less bureaucracy, um, have more autonomy, are local. Uh, they can deeply engage in their communities to build or develop programs that are culturally responsive, that reflect the diversities of diversity of our community and our country. Um, and so creating a pipeline of racially diverse educators requires a commitment among current charter school leaders to do the work of examining their current pipelines, what is or is not working, um, in their retention and recruitment of racially diverse educators. 21% uh, of teachers in California are Latinx and 54% of students are. 3.9% uh, of teachers are Black and 5% of students are. And less than one third of administrators identify as Black or Latinx, but 60% of our students identify in those very same populations. So, so this is a systemic issue. And so the low numbers of Black and Latinx ed educators isn't an accident. Uh, it, the leaky pipeline for educators starts in, in pre-K. As leaders, we have to ask ourselves the question, um, what is our role specifically, I should say, in changing these outcomes? I see myself playing a role in that, um, both on the policy and advocacy side and with the new administrators who will be serving our students. Uh, because I believe that the educators, the administrators that we are training through our program are going to play a pivotal role uh, in what we are seeing across, across the state as it relates to increasing the pipeline of racially diverse leaders. So I have some, I, I also share a few researchers that I would encourage your, your listeners to listen to or, or seek out. Uh, Dr. Travis Bristol um, out of UC Berkeley has been really instrumental. I'll, I'll say this in my own growth and development in this area. Um, he wrote a piece on Black and Latinx teachers. And also uh, Dr. Charles Cole in, in collaboration mm -hmm. with uh, the Charter School Growth Fund just released a report looking at the importance of Black-led charter networks, just to name a few. Uh, so these are some, some resources that I'll leave with your listeners. 
So here on Changemakers, we love hearing about the personal backgrounds of our guests because that's really what drives them to do the hard work of fostering equity and education on a daily basis. I know for me, my own personal journey as a 17-year-old immigrant girl landing in the middle of Michigan really shaped who I am and how I approach this work. And for you, Laura, I've heard you tell so such amazing stories about your own advocacy origin story. So tell us about your grandmother and how she served as a catalyst to help Black and Latino children succeed. Who was she and in what ways did she inspire you? My grandmother was a sixth grade educated uh, sharecropper from Mississippi. Uh, she loved reading. She loved learning. She, uh, While she wasn't a certificated educator by any means, uh, she was just a natural educator. And uh, she uh, eventually had children of her own um, and she met my grandfather. They had 16 children and her desire for those 16 children uh, was to finish high school. Um, all of them finished high school with the exception of those who died as children, but my mother was the only one to finish college at the age of 40 with three children. And so that seed of education was was planted um, in my mother and then was planted in me. And ultimately, uh, I realized the dream of my grandmother by becoming a teacher and uh, then ultimately founding a charter school and naming it in her honor. So if that doesn't show how much uh, deep gratitude and appreciation uh, and generational impact that my grandmother had, I don't know what else does. <laughs> On that note, um, I'd like to thank my guest, Laura McGowan Robinson, my good friend, for being a guest on Changemakers. Laura is the founder and CEO of the Diversity and Leadership Institute. And I'm Mirna Castrejon, president and CEO of the California Charter Schools Association in the most diverse state in the nation. You've been listening to Changemakers. This is the Charter Nation podcast. I'm your host, Anna Tentakulis. California still has a very long way to go in recruiting and hiring Black educators, but there are some bright spots among California's charter public schools, schools like Resolute Academy in Watts. Christiana Cobdozier is a new counselor on that campus. She's helping students manage grief and anxiety on a daily basis. In fact, the state's Department of Health just released some really sobering data, which finds the suicide rate among Black youth has doubled since 2014, and it's now twice the statewide average. In this audio postcard, Christiana, also known as Miss CD by her students, talks about being a trauma-informed Black educator at Resolute Academy. Students are coming in with a lot of strong feelings. One of those strong feelings is grief. We experienced a lot of loss in the last year and over year and a half. Um, that means loss of like family members or friends who passed away from COVID. Um, maybe you have experienced loss of a home because you had to move or even experienced homelessness in the last year. You lost time with your friends and for middle school, peer connection is huge. And so first thing I um, like to remind myself and of our staff is to have that front of mind and to be trauma-informed and ask the questions of what needs do our students have and how can I as the adult help them meet that need. In the year that I've been here and now year two that I'm starting, I've seen a 
tremendous growth from our students just from having that additional adult to help them um, navigate these systems. School is a system, right? And so, um, yes, they are in their classrooms, but we need to give them the tools to be able to function in those classrooms. Students are not able to learn if they are not able to regulate themselves. And as a school counselor, that's an opportunity that I have to give students those skills or to help teachers help students with those skills. So for instance, a social emotional skill is being able to communicate. So we will have a lesson about social skills, which talks about assertive communication as well as like active listening. So as you're communicating, the other person should be listening. So what does it look like for you to listen? And how does it look like for you to articulate what you're feeling? It can be hard to regulate yourself if you don't know what to do. So letting an adult know like, I'm feeling out of control right now, help me out. And the adult can say, all right, let's take a break, go take a walk. The teacher might contact me like, Miss CD, can you take a walk with this scholar? And I'm out of the door to go do that with them and support them. Kids motivate me. I enjoy seeing them grow. I enjoy seeing them learn and connect with one another. And it gets hard. There are hard moments throughout the day. Every day looks very different. So I have to also remind myself to stay present. But um, one thing that I always find myself feeling very um, happy about throughout the day, even when it is a tough day, is walking along our campus and hearing a kid go, hey, Miss CD, from across the field, that lights me up at any point in the day. I think yesterday I was leaving after a long day and was like, oh, I can't wait to go home and get in this car. And as I walked by the lunch tables, they were at after school and they go, bye, Miss CD. And I just was like, I'm gonna see y'all tomorrow and it's a-okay. And so I think um, just knowing that they know that I'm here for them and I have their back, even when it gets tough, um, motivates me. That was Christiana Cobdozier, a counselor at Resolute Academy in Watts. Be sure to tune in to the Charter Nation podcast for Black History Month in February. We'll profile other Black charter school heroes like Christiana, We'll also feature those stories on CCSA's Charter Nation blog. Just head to ccsa.org slash charter nation. Now, switching topics, let's head to San Diego County for a slice of charter school life at the Learning Choice Academy, a hybrid homeschool with three campuses. Last year, it began offering a special set of career tech classes that focus on environmental energy and sustainable construction. The big project students tackle is building a tiny house from scratch. Now, for those who don't know what a tiny house is, well, it's tiny, about 100 to 400 square feet and costs way less than your average home here in California. It also leaves a much smaller environmental footprint. Travis Nixon is the instructor and brainchild of these career tech classes, which are offered at the school's La Mesa campus. He says hands-on programs like this one kept him in school as a teenager. That was an absolute lifeline. I'm definitely a hands-on person. That's how I understand the world. Travis now engages other learners who are just like him. He's a fourth-generation electrical contractor, but despite all of his experience, once he told students they were going to build a tiny house, their big question was... Is this actually going to work? 
I'm happy to report that absolutely. High school students work alongside industry professionals, gaining job skills in construction, green technology, and engineering. They learn how to use power tools, install drywall, and solar power energy sources. Now, most students jumped at the chance to tackle this project, but there were a few students who weren't so excited at first. I, I was scared. I didn't want to use a saw. I didn't want to drill anything. That's Isabel Hinojosa, a senior at the Learning Choice Academy. Um, but it definitely took some consistency of learning how to do those things, and you eventually get into like a rhythm of like doing them over and over again that you get pretty good at it. And now she is one of the biggest cheerleaders of the tiny house project. Isabel says students also learn about teamwork, cooperation, and communication. I'm definitely more of an introverted person, um, but definitely throughout the tiny house, I was able to learn more about what it takes to be a really great leader um, and how you need to have that communication with your peers or else that's when things go wrong. And it's once you have those set of skills that you're able to achieve things much faster or get to your goal on time. Travis Nixon, the instructor, says in the end, that's what this project is all about. Teaching students about the power of courage and consistency. Having the courage to step through those doors, showing up even if you don't feel like it. You know, and the courage plus consistency, you know, you come out of that with confidence and when you're a confident person I mean there's nothing you can't do. Like selling a tiny house which is yet another aspect of this project. Isabel says knowing someone would actually live in the tiny house she was building was a huge motivator. I would take progress photos I like to I would take a picture after every session almost and then I would send them to my family and I was like looking back on them one day and I was like, wow, we, we've gotten really far. So that was exciting. And Travis says one of the highlights for him is when they had to transport the very first tiny house they built under a bridge to its new location after it was purchased. So I was in the vehicle behind the towing vehicle and watching that thing go under that. I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, is everything OK? The house made it. And now, the Learning Choice Academy plans to expand the career tech classes to its second campus in Chula Vista. Roughly 20 students at each site in La Mesa and in Chula Vista will build two separate tiny houses. Travis says he's thankful the Learning Choice Academy is using its flexibility and autonomy to reimagine education. And that's really one of the advantages of charters is the decision-making process is a couple people deep, not, you know, innumerable echelons of uh, things working at cross-purposes. So that's why we were able to just start this program up at TLC and hit the ground running and start helping kids. Senior Isabel Hinojosa agrees. And she hopes other schools will do the same thing. Because it not only helps them to develop those um, characteristics that you need, such as leadership, but it also brings not only good memories, but you're able to be outside doing something. And I think that it's a really good idea for other students to do as well, because it personally really helped me to develop into a better person. I'd like to thank Travis, Isabel, and the Learning Choice Academy for helping us tell their story. And to learn more about this school or how you can support its tiny house project, visit its website at learningchoice.org. 
And that wraps it up for this episode of the Charter Nation podcast. Be sure to tune into past episodes by going to the Charter Nation website. You can find that by going to ccsa.org slash charter nation. That's where you'll find other great charter school stories in California. I'm Anna Tintoklas, host of the Charter Nation podcast. As always, thanks for listening.